I never said, you know, to people, welcome to the family. When they join Trapper, I say, welcome to the team, and it's intentional. Uh, I have a family, you have yours, and we are a team working together on something cool, right, and, and fun, and, and plenty of matters, but we're not a family. Let's, not everything needs to be the same thing. Despite that, I still made a mistake of thinking that I should shield, you know, the team from bad news, and then they're not stupid, and they, people want to know what's going on, they want to know, you know, uh, what's, you know, what does it mean for their jobs and for their children or their families or, you know, what themselves. So eventually I, I started just being very transparent with what's going on. If there is a pandemic and a virus and, and lockdowns and nobody knows what's going on, nobody knows the future and, and we need to do something right now to save the company, then that's the reality. Telling it to the team the way it is was actually much better and I didn't know that that's the way you should do it before the pandemic. Hey everyone, welcome back to the SaaS Revolution show brought to you by SaaStock, the conference that helps SaaS companies get traction, growth and scale. I'm your host, Alex Thuma, and I'll be looking at what it really takes to build and grow a SaaS company today and how founders and entrepreneurs stay healthy on the journey. Now on with the show. Welcome to the SaaS Revolution show, uh, Avi Mayer, who is the uh, the CEO, co-founder of Travelpert. Welcome, Avi. Thank you for having me. Yeah, great to have you on the podcast. Been looking to have you on the show for a while. Let's tell the audience a little bit about yourself. You know, who is uh, Avi Mayer? I'm still trying to figure it out. Uh, <laughs> I'm in the process. <laughs> I'm, uh, um, I'm a father, a husband. Uh, that's probably uh, the first way to describe myself. I have two young boys uh, who uh, are troublemakers, and you know you can see by my smile that I'm proud of that. <laughs> Originally from Israel, um, I started kind of as my first passion, and I'm sure we'll talk about it um, later today. Uh, my first passion was actually um, in specifically coding and, and hacking. That was my my real passion as, as as a kid. So, which kind of still, I guess, uh, is a big part of, of what drives me. You know, this this excitement of, of figuring a system out and then finding creative ways of getting it to do what it was not supposed to do. So that's kind of the, the drive of, of hacking, of you know, the original 90s hacking. Um, and I'm also the co-founder and CEO of uh, Trapper, which uh, I'm sure we'll also talk about. Today. Who did you hack or like, did you ever get in trouble for hacking? So, so the good thing is, um, you know, in Israel, you have this, the military service. It's, it's mandatory for, for everybody. And when you so when you're 18, you finish high school and then you go to the army, and um, and one of the steps is they have you kind of uh, it's almost like a Catholic con- uh, confession. Uh, they have you kind of confess everything you've done. They check you off and kind of if it's not too bad, you know, it's good. So so I confessed of all my my hacking sins uh, when I was 18, and I, and I never went back to illegal hacking after that. Um, but it was yeah, some universities, some um, nothing nothing special. I was just uh, for fun. I didn't have any. Um, any other motive except just learning and, and enjoying. When did you first know that you wanted to become an entrepreneur? So I was thinking about this question um, before before uh, this, this chat. And it's interesting because I don't think I've ever actually wanted to be an entrepreneur. It kind of happened, uh, to be honest. So I, I'm, I always look at, at kind of, you know, Warren Buffett stories of, you know, limited uh, business that they scaled to a million dollar business when they were 12 or something. And I, and I feel like an imposter because I never really had this kind of uh, drive. As I said, I, I was more interested in, in technology as a kid. Having said that, uh, I, I did um, think of the first time I created the business and, and 
and kind of generate revenue out of it was probably when I was 13 or 14, fixing computers for, um, you know, uh, my, my parents, friends, you know, adults are typically dumb. Uh, I became a dumb adult today, but when I was 14, I wasn't that dumb. So I could go and fix their printers and install drivers and stuff like this uh, when I was 14. And, and kind of that was my first business, if you will. But, you know, true entrepreneurship, uh, you know, I, I was 31 when I, I started my first business. So it took a while. Thirty-one. Okay, uh, good stuff. So you mentioned in in Israel, uh, I think it's mandatory for uh, military service, right? Um, how long how long uh, did you have to do that service? And I guess from that, because so many Israelis do become entrepreneurs and tech entrepreneurs, like what do you get, you know, from doing military service that kind of like serves you well? Also, uh, you know, all these people to go into, uh, you know, uh, entrepreneurship and, and into tech. Yeah. It's a three-year, for men, it's a three-year um, uh, mandatory service. And for, uh, I think it's slightly shorter now, if I'm not mistaken. But back at my time, it was three-year for men and two for women. Um, um, and everybody has to go. So, I, you know, it's, it's one of these kind of, um, you know, uh, interesting debates on, you know, what, what makes uh, the, the Israeli kind of entrepreneurship, uh, entrepreneurial spirit. I'm, I accept that the military has something to do with it. I don't know exactly what. Um, if I, if I, by the way, if you hear the, the bells, I'm next to this amazing cathedral uh, in Barcelona. That's where our office is. So uh, I think it's a nice, it's a nice, uh, you know, uh, uh, music tone to add to our to our discussion. Um, for me, you know, if I think about my experience um, and, and and what what you know what kind of tools or or. Um, personality traits I'm using today um, as, as a founder, as, as a CEO. Um, I would say it's, it's first and foremost ownership and, and teamwork, uh, which are uh, not surprisingly two of the core values of Park. Ownership is, is it's, maybe it's agency, you know, more than ownership is understanding that you have to do it, nobody else can, and nobody else is available. Uh, so, you know, whatever it is, whatever, uh, you know the task is um, you have to do it yourself. Right? Like that's kind of the bit the, the spirit. And you're 18, you're 19, and you have to do you know tough things you know, um, yourself. And 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 you learn kind of very quickly the um, this kind of um, the necessity for agency or for ownership over the problem. Instead of I think the, the opposite of that is entitlement uh, or, or whining. Um, you know, that's kind of the symptoms, I think, of, of the opposite approach where you sit and, and whine about the situation. Even if it's not your fault, it doesn't matter. Like, it's the problem, you are facing it, you should go and solve it. Like, instead of whining, you know, whining doesn't help. So I think this kind of, this mentality is, is baked into um, into the DNA, I would say, of, of being in, in, in the military, especially in a, in, in a somehow a messy uh, environment. Like, like it's really, you know, if you ever been to Israel, you know it's a, it's a messy country. So you know there is no reason the army uh, will be different. It's not like in the movies where everything is organized. It's far from that. Uh, so a lot of things kind of don't have an owner, and then you have to do it. So I think that's one, and the other one is teamwork, which is obvious. But you know everything starts you know starts and ends with with your team and, and the trust that you have with other humans and the connection you have with them. Um, and and these two, I would say, you know these these two. Um, um, Values became core values for me personally, and and are driving to this day in traffic. 
Uh, and you mentioned that your, uh, you started your first business so you, uh, at 31, uh, right? Um, how, what was that and how did that go? There was a company called Hotel Ninjas. So, so at the time I was um, uh, living already in Barcelona and um, I, I quit my, my job at Budget Places, which was a great company where I was VP of product and, and I wanted to start my own startup and, and uh, we, together with Christian uh, Enderstrom, <coughs> sorry, with a classmate of mine from business school, we decided to go for um, SaaS for hotel management. Uh, not surprisingly, that's, that has been my, my industry for, for a while now. Uh, you know, the travel industry and the B2B side of it. So we did, uh, we said, there is no modern SaaS for hotel management. Let's be that one. So we created Hotel Ninjas for that. So Hotel Ninjas was acquired by Booking.com and you worked for them then as a, a senior product manager, I think for about sort of like 10 months. Uh, and like often, but not always, there is, you know, once, once you're acquired, some sort of uh, earn out um, uh, portion of, of the deal, like occasionally neg- negotiated, sometimes uh, the founders, you, you know, uh, cash out and, and, and don't, um, you, you know, come as part of that, that M&A and the integration. As an entrepreneur, uh, like the first time entrepreneur with Hotel in, uh, Ninjas, that then, uh, I guess, kind of, did you go through an earn out? Um, was, was that the, uh, the, uh, the part where you became the employee? So you went from entrepreneur to employee in a very large organization in booking.com. How did you adapt from having that a first taste as like, you, you know, CEO and entrepreneur to suddenly now I'm an employee uh, again or part of a bigger team? Um, and yeah, so the, the first part of the question, how did you adapt? You know, what was that kind of feeling? Uh, to be honest, it wasn't difficult um, to adapt. Booking um, is a great company uh, with great culture. At the time, when I joined, Darren was the CEO and and, uh, and later Gillian Pants became the CEO uh, while I was there. And, and just kind of a, a small uh, anecdote, but Gillian, um, she, she left Booking last year um, she was the CEO and chairwoman of, 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 the, of the whole company. And, and um, after leaving, she now that she had no conflict of interest, she invested personally in Trapper and she joined our board. Uh, this happened this year. So just as a small anecdote to show that, you know, I, I, I really like the people there. I really connected well with, with the team. Um, it's a great company. And, um, and also the fact that we were, we, they, they kept us in Barcelona for the first year. So we were kind of disconnected from from the, the mothership in a way. Uh, we basically kept, you know, Hotel Ninjas kept being Hotel Ninjas and it was just a part of the group, but we kept our culture, we kept our team, and, and, and we, I personally and the team, we had no issue with that. How long was your was your own out? Because, uh, I mean, just on LinkedIn, I think it's, you were there at Booking.com for 10 months, um, which is, it feels generally a little bit shorter than the, the typical uh, kind of earn out that's kind of asked for. So did, did you cut it short or was it a, was it a 10 month uh, earn out? Yeah, I, I did cut it short. To be honest, uh, to be precise, uh, uh, my wife cut it short. <laughs> so, so the story there was that um, I, I was in, a, in dinner with a few senior people at, at Booking in Amsterdam. And, you know, I'm from Israel, my wife is from France. So we, we at the time, our, our, first, our first kid was six months old, I think. Like that. Um, so nothing really, um, you know, tied us to, to, to Spain or to Barcelona. We have no family here. You know, uh, um, you know we could easily move to another country. And, and, um, and the offer from Booking was to, for us to move to Amsterdam and, and for me to take ownership of a larger part of, of the organization. 
And this sounded great. As I said, you know, Booking is a great company and, and you know, I really enjoyed my time there. Uh, Amsterdam, I never lived in Amsterdam, but it looks like a, like a cool city. Why not? You know, nice people, you know, crappy weather, but whatever. Uh, that's why they invented uh, planes for and, and trains. So I said yes on the spot. I said, yes, I'm moving to, to Amsterdam. I'm, I'm, I'm doing it. We shook hands. Uh, I only forgot, like a typical man, I guess. I forgot to ask my wife <laughs> about, you know, what, what she thinks about it. So I came back home to Barcelona and I said, honey, we're moving to Amsterdam. And she said, nope, ain't going to happen. Um, we moved to Barcelona, you know, for, for my business school. So that was, um, you know, one, one token I used. And she said, I'm using the next token. And we, I like it here. We're staying here. So he told me, you figure it out now. And I said, okay, fine. I, you know, I like my job, but I, I like my, my wife even more. So yeah, that's, that's great, probably great. Good. Good, uh, good, good decision. And then so like post that, uh, you found a travel perk. What's a travel perk founding story? So the funny story is, is that I wasn't going to find to, to, to found anything uh, for a while. So I took I, I took I told Juliet, my wife, I, I told her I'm taking a year off. So she asked, she, you know, she asked for us to stay in Barcelona. Fine, but then I, my my side of the burden is I'm taking a year off. I've never not worked since I was 16. Um, you know, every day of my life I, I had either work. Uh, or you know the military service, which is you know, even more uh, I would say twenty four seven, and just so I needed some time off, and I and I, uh, and I took a year sabbatical, and uh, I managed. She said uh, you will only last a month. I remember, and I said no, no, you'll see. I'll, you know, I'll, I'll, I had a whole list. I'm going to play, learn how to play the guitar, get it back in shape. I learn how to sail. I wanted to really sail boats, and like anyway, I had like a long list of stuff I was going to do. Uh, so on Monday, I went on, on sabbatical for a year, and on Friday that week, I got, uh, I got a phone call from uh, Javier uh, Suarez and Ron Levin, uh, whom I knew from Booking.com. Both of them had left to create this new company, and they reached out to me and like, hey, we heard you're available. And I'm like, nope, I'm not available. I'm taking a year off. And, and they were like, you know, give us just half an hour, and, and then, you know, we'll just make the pitch and you decide. And three hours later, I, I, I you know, I remember I kind of I shut down the phone and, and and I look at Judith and she, she looks at me and she's like, I, I could tell that she knows that I'm, I'm done with the sabbatical. So that's, uh, <laughs> I, I was forced basically to, to join this team. The short, shortest sabbatical ever, um, as, far, as far as I've heard, but, um, but seemingly you made uh, uh, the right choice. Then Travel Perk uh, became, you know, the fastest growing SaaS company, uh, certainly in Europe for, uh, uh, for a couple of years and, uh, and pre-COVID. Uh, how did you as, uh, as a CEO cope with being the CEO of a hyper-growth company? Uh, you know, what mechanisms did you put in place for yourself uh, and for the business to be the right CEO for for uh, such a hyper growth company. When when I was at, at uh, shows you how how, uh, how much of a coward I am uh, by answering this question the way I do. When I was at business school, somebody asked the same question to the, the CEO of Budgetplace, the company where I worked as a video product right before starting the uh, I, I was still a student, and, and somebody asked me the question: How do you cope with the, with the stress of being a CEO of, of a fast growing company? And he, and he just blank face, he said, heavy drinking. And, and I've been thinking for like, you know, it's been like, what, you know, 12 years, 13 years. And I've been thinking about the opportunity whenever somebody asked me this question to answer the same way. And I couldn't. By the way, that's why I, I took the job there, because the answer is like this. Uh, so heavy drinking, no. Um, <laughs> I think I, think, um, I cope with it um, two ways. One is, um, I believe I have the right priorities um, in life. And... And my priorities are first and foremost my family, 
um, and, and, and which implies also have a family, thank God. So I think a lot of people make the mistake of thinking that they have to only focus on work and they forget a, a, such an important part of their life, being happy. And I, I don't, I personally don't think I could have been happy without, uh, without a family, without being married and having children. Um, so I guess, you know, in a weird kind of counter, maybe counterintuitive way, I cope with the stress by not always focusing on work, but also you know, focusing on more important things, uh, which for me, are, you know, is my family. Um, also realizing that everybody is an imposter, so it's not an imposter syndrome. It's just we don't know what we're doing by definition, right? Like I've never had this job. It's the first time I'm doing it. Most people who have this job successfully don't go back and, and do it again. Like like very few actually do it from the beginning if they were successful in the first one. As you know, as an operator, they might do it as, a, as a, you know investor or advisor or board member. So by, almost by definition, you always are learning and you're doing it for the first time. Like today is the first time I'm doing this job the way in the way of the way it is and the size of the company. Um, so kind of giving yourself the cutting yourself off slack and, and saying, yes, I'm, I'm not, I'm not, it's not imposter syndrome. I don't know what I'm doing. Nobody in, you know, in my position, um, knew what they were doing with the first time and it's okay. So let's learn, uh, as fast as possible and let's hire people who know what they're doing, uh, to help me. Um, and not being, you know, I'm, I'm not ashamed to say when people ask me about, um, the product roadmap and, and our approach to product, I, I revert them to Ross, um, my, my chief product officer. And I'm not ashamed to say that he knows better than me uh, about that side of the business, but many other parts of the business. Um, I don't need to be the, you know, the smartest, uh, most, most knowledgeable person in the room. I just need to find these people and convince them to work with me. Uh, and, and everything else kind of falls into place after that. Definitely. And um, yeah, I guess we're like from hyper growth to COVID, which completely decimated the travel industry, you know, temporarily uh, and businesses needs to travel, uh, you, you know, for 18 to, to 24 months. And, you know, in the, the first wave of COVID, what was the initial impact on travel perk and, and how did you feel like, you know, in, you know, during that sort of period? Yeah, uh, the impact. By the way, there is a funny. Uh, I keep I keep telling people that it's very embarrassing to me that I don't want I want nobody to watch it, and then I mention the video so that you can go easily find it and watch it. So I don't know why I'm doing it, but it's embarrassing to me. Don't watch it. But there is a Sky Sky News uh, live interview. It was I think the first time I did uh, like this this kind of um, you know news shows where you go to to the studio and you sit next to a, an anchor like it used to be you no know, before, and and I did one of these. And I even had to, I had to buy a, a suit. I, I don't, I didn't own a suit. I had to buy one for, because they have dress codes uh, when you go there. And it was in, in Feb, uh, February, 2020. Um, and I wanted to talk about our sustainability product called Greenberg. We, we had just released this amazing groundbreaking industry leading product to basically uh, automatically reduce carbon in, in the atmosphere uh, on your behalf. So I'm going to talk about that and, 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 uh, they wanted to talk about about this virus, uh, and and they forced me to talk about it. I really didn't want to. I wanted to focus on sustainability. And you see below me, like you know, in this text, it says deadly virus, and 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 you know. So anyway, I was I was I'm always an optimist, so I didn't think it was going to be that bad. And I eventually predicted that it will impact our business by ten percent. So that was that was a. Uh, almost as bad as a prediction uh, as when Bill Gates said that fifty percent of business travel never come back, come, never comes back. So. He was completely, he said it in 2020, and then he later went to buy like a big uh, uh, ownership in uh, Four Seasons, the chain, 
So smart guy, but uh, he was wrong. Um, and I was wrong as well. So that was my prediction. We actually had um, the peak for us was negative top line, negative revenue in April of 2020. Because, you know, we are not a typical SaaS in the sense of uh, we are transactional SaaS, right? We charge um, fees based on, on volume. But a big part of, you know, we transact today more than a billion dollar of sales annually. Um, and all of this goes through our system. And a big part of it obviously goes to the suppliers. But if, you know, if you have cancellations, then we need to refund. And it's a two-sided marketplace. We need to get the refunds back from the suppliers, the airlines, before we can give it to, to uh, travelers. The airlines wouldn't, you know, didn't pay uh, fast enough. So we just, and we don't like to be, you know, mistreat our, our customers. We believe in seven-star experience. So we said, you know what? We will refund before the airlines. So we had a negative, uh, I'm smiling because it was stressful, not because I was happy about it, uh, negative uh, uh, revenue margin. So that was a horrible uh, uh, moment, but I'm very proud also of how we, we handle it. Uh, we, we, stuck, we stuck really true to our values as a company. As I mentioned, we have seven-star experience to the customers and to the team the first value so how can you pretend to or claim that you provide seven star experience to your team if for example you lay off everybody that you don't need right now because of COVID? so we do we didn't do any layoffs uh we stuck to to the team and the team stuck to us and we you know we navigated this this crisis together um and you know it was painful for many people it wasn't it wasn't easy but i'm very proud of of how we kind of uh, emerge out of it and we did emerge much much stronger we're doing now uh, 10x in revenue of before COVID. Uh, so, so same month pre-COVID to now, we're doing 10x in revenue. We, we made four acquisitions. Uh, we kept investing in the product. We kept hiring people uh, throughout these, these two years. So eventually we, we came out much, much stronger, but it wasn't, it wasn't an easy time. Yeah. Yeah. No, 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 definitely. I can, I can imagine. Was there, um, I mean, great that you, you, you didn't do any layoffs. And um, I mean, like in terms of, the, the team, because I think you're, I don't know, how many people were you like uh, sort of pre-COVID? It's only like 450 uh, when we started 400. Uh, the pandemic. And, and assuming, and I'm, I might be wrong here, but that let's say the, the workload uh, initially is like diminished because less people were traveling. Um, if that is correct, like what did the team sort of, you, you know, end up, end up doing, you know, were some people on furlough? Were they working on other projects? You, you know, how did you get the team? Uh, how did you kind of manage the team during that time? So we have, if you think about the company, we have a SaaS company, basically, in terms of the team composition, right? We have, we have a SaaS, typical SaaS company with, um, you know, software developers and designers and product managers and account managers, um, SDRs, BDRs, you know, like think about all the functions you have in a SaaS company. And then we have a travel agency. Uh, with travel agents, right, uh, in-house, working for us. So when COVID hit 400, uh, we were around 400, 450 people, and around 300 of these were in these either travel agent or sales roles that are completely volume-driven, uh, right? If you have no, no, no customers traveling, uh, these two roles have no uh, work to do at that moment. So we did, uh, we used Forlo, unfortunately, but we had to use, use that. So we reduced, the, the way we did it is people worked sort of five days, they work three days um, or two days, depending on the needs. Um, we topped the, the salaries up out of pocket because the problem was the government wasn't um, doing its job here, mostly in Spain, um, and, and not paying uh, not paying on time. So, you know, if you don't, if you, if you will eventually pay, but you don't pay on time, people cannot afford rent or food, right? So that's, um, so we paid out of pocket for that. 
Um, and then, so we did furlough and then we did, um, we used the time to, for training. Um, so we upskilled up many people. So for example, in, in travel agency, you can learn, um, uh, you know, advanced GDS skills, which gives you better tools for, to do your job. So, so we upskill people in different roles. And also we move people between teams, especially if you kind of, this, we got into war mode. So in war mode, you jump and do whatever is needed. So uh, even if you're in, you know, in customer support, maybe you should do some, some SDR role. Or if you're in SDR, maybe you can help with cancellations. So at the beginning of COVID, we had a lot of cancellations. So we just took out of SDRs and, and trained them you know, in four days to, to, do, to do basic travel agent role. And then we, we, they helped with cancellations. So we moved also people around to, to whatever uh, task was needed. But we managed to kind of keep them busy in, um, in tasks that were useful. Uh, which, of course, I think is important instead of just creating you know, bullshit tasks just for them to feel that they're busy. What are your key leadership uh, learnings from steering a, a company, navigating a company through a, a storm? I think one of the, my, my personal biggest learning is, is, well, actually, I would say two. One is, you know, people are, the herd is going to the wrong direction. And the fact that the herd is going there doesn't mean that that's the right direction. Everybody laid off people, including our, our competitors. Trip Action, for example, uh, laid like, hundreds of people off um, on, on a Zoom call, and, um, and and you know Airbnb laid a third, I think, if I'm not mistaken, of, of, of the team. Um, um, so so basically, um, the entire industry uh, thought that that's the only way to to handle the pandemic, and we proved that there was another way. Um, so, and, and it was tough, right? It was tough at the beginning to convince uh, my board and my investors and, and myself that that's the right thing to do. And, and eventually, and we almost went to the other direction of layoffs. Uh, and, and last second, we decided not, not to do it. And kind of, and, and I have one of my investors, Shmuel, uh, from, Shmuel uh, Chaffetz from, from Target Global, to thank for that. He was, um, called me, you know, in the middle of this pandemic, we were locked down and asking, you know, how am I doing? And I told him I'm doing really badly because, about to lay off people that don't want to lay off. And then we kind of worked, worked it out in first principle in a way. And, and, and thanks to his uh, pushback against that, because he, he thought that we, we need to do it and, uh, until he heard that I don't want to do it. And then he wanted to understand why. And then kind of him trusting in my gut feeling eventually translated to, to us not doing it. So uh, if, you're, if you're looking, I, I would plug him again. If you're looking to raise uh, uh, from an amazing investor, uh, Shmuel from Plug Global is, is uh, definitely somebody to talk to. Um, so that's one thing uh, that I learned. The second thing um, I would say is I had this kind of weird, maybe it's, maybe it's just me, I don't know, but I had this kind of weird uh, notion that I should protect the team from bad news. And if I, if I don't, like almost like they're my children in a way, and I never confuse, it's weird because I never confuse company and family. I think it's a mistake. I never called, uh, I never said, you know, to people, welcome to the family. When they join Trapper, I say, welcome to the team and it's intentional. I have a family, you have yours, and we are a team working together on something cool right? and, and fun and, and, and familiar matters, but we're not a family. Let's, not everything needs to be the same thing. Um, so, it's, so, so despite that, I still made a mistake of thinking that I should shield, maybe I shouldn't even shield my children. Anyway, that's something to think about later. But uh, I should shield uh, you know, the team from bad news, and then they're not stupid, and they, people want to know what's going on, they want to know, you know, uh, but you know, what does it mean for their jobs and for their children or their families or you know whatever, themselves? Um, so eventually, I, I started just being very transparent. In, for example, you know, I, I remember like um, one of the Zoom um, 
um, meetings in, in the lockdown and, and, um, and where, where I announced this, this furlough and I knew it was going to be painful for many people. And, and, and I just shared my thoughts, right. And my, my, my feelings and, and, um, and allowed myself to be I mean, a bit less of a macho, I guess, uh, you know, I'm, I'm sometimes a bit more of a, like this, uh, fake macho guy. Um, and this actually resonated really well with the team and, and later people reached out to me and actually support, like, you know, get me, you know, uh, support and kind of, uh, psychological support in that moment. And, uh, and that was awesome, right? That, that was a really good team moment where I stopped trying to shield them and just, uh, was very transparent with what's going on. Uh, it was outside of our control, right? If, if it's in your control and you don't have good answers, then, you know, okay, do your job. But if there is a pandemic and a virus and, and lockdowns and, and, Nobody, nobody knows what's going on. Nobody knows the future, and, and we need to do something right now to save the company. Then that's the reality, right? And, and, and telling it to the team the way it is was actually much better. And I didn't know that that's, that's the way you should do it before before the pandemic. No, great, great learnings. Thank, thanks for for sharing that. You you mentioned um, in the sort of like the earlier part of the answer. Um, uh, trip actions and, and they made some layoffs and uh, I, I don't know if it's true but uh, it feels that you've got a friendly-ish rivalry uh, with trip actions I think they got a uh, Israeli uh, uh, founder uh, as well I don't know if that has anything to do with the the, the friendly-ishness there but uh, I did see an April Fool's joke uh, about you acquiring uh, trip actions and for a microsecond I believed it um, and then I saw <laughs> I think their, their response um, is it like I, I want your kind of like thoughts on on competition you, you know, is it important to you who is number one? Um, and like, how do you just handle competition in general? Um, uh, would be good to know. So yes, it's important uh, to me personally as, as a very competitive person. Uh, but also, I learned how to to code and how to be a hacker um, in, in in kind of middle school and high school. Not not from teachers. Uh, actually, yes, from teacher, but not from um, let's say an established uh, school, but from a friend. So a um, really smart guy called Yaniv, who's, who's now very senior at Google, uh, one of the smartest guys I know, and he, all, he was always smarter than me. And in, it kind of, uh, I'm very competitive, so it pulled me, you know, and forced me to, to learn more and faster and, and be better so I could kick his ass. And for me, at least, I, I get that it's not always a driving uh, force for, for many people, but or for all people, but for me, this is a huge driving force to be better and, uh, and to improve, right? So... Um, I don't think being number one by itself matters if, if, uh, if you're isolated from everything else, but I think the journey to get there is, is important. Uh, and also it's fun to win, right? So I think uh, we shouldn't kind of, sometimes I feel like in this modern kind of everything is, is more, everything a bit softer, I would say today. Um, then, you know, this drive and, and enjoyment to win is, is almost badly seen. So no, I think it's fun to win. It's great to win as a team, which is our way. Uh, and it, ma- it makes us better every, every single day. So uh, that's definitely, I think, the approach that, that I would like to take as a company and we're taking as a company. Would you, like, how much do you spend a lot of time thinking about or looking at the competition or do you just focus on what you're doing? Because I know some people, like there is a view that, oh, it's important that we look at what the competition are doing. And then there are other views where say, well, no, just ignore the competition and just focus on, on what you're doing. Uh, what, what, what is your position around that? I guess it's depending on the context, right? Uh, and is it a zero-sum game? Is it like a network where, where only one can, can, can win? Uh, you know, is the trend going to the direction of the competition? Like, you know, if you're Instagram, you're seeing what happened, what's happening with TikTok. 
you have to be aware and react, uh, or at least you know, um, decide why not to react because this is coming to you know to eat your lunch. This is not the case for us. Uh, travel business travel is a huge, huge industry, um, especially after COVID. There are very few compet- uh, competitors in terms of a, uh, a modern product approach um, and a platform for business travel. They're basically just uh, travel perk and, and trip actions today. Um, and we're kicking at the ass, uh, Ariel. So, um, so, so I'm not too worried about competition. I'm not following it too closely, but definitely we, we need to be aware of what's going on uh, at, at, you know, uh, on the edges. Uh, in terms of, let's say, the product roadmap is not impacted by what competition is doing. It's impacted by our strategy and our vision for, um, for what the customers and, you know, eventually this market needs. Uh, final, final few questions. So what, what's the best advice you've received as an entrepreneur? What's the best advice? Oh, I've received so, many, so much good advice over the years. I think what really helps me at the beginning, because I, don't, I didn't know what I was doing, and I, I still don't, but you know, I didn't know that it was okay not to know. Um, Johannes Freck from Get Your Guide, uh, who was uh, one of my early mentors, uh, and still to this day, very important figure uh, in the company. Um, he kind of helped me you know, in his very uh, rigid, uh, sometimes frameworks, but really helpful. Uh, he helped me understand what I need to do. So I didn't know what to focus on like during the day. I was coding. I was like, you know, like, like doing everything I could. And he said, a CEO uh, of, of, a, of a tech startup has only three uh, jobs, only three roles. One is make sure there is enough money in the bank. So through either revenue from customers, which is the best way, or raising money, which is the second best way, um, cost, you know, et cetera. So money in the bank, number one, otherwise you die uh, as a company. Uh, number two is make sure you have the right team in place. Okay, so hire the right people for the right stage. Um, so sometimes you have to let go because it's the wrong stage uh, for them, you know. And, and that's what, by the way, one of the um, issues I think, and one of the difficulties of, of, of a fast-growing startup is is sometimes people are really good at the role and then they get not so good at it within six or twelve months because the role changed, not because they changed. Um, so make sure that you know it's, it's a constant kind of team adjustment uh, task, but make sure you have the right team. And then third uh, priority is make sure that they're building the right the right product. So at least on a, on a strategy level, you know, do you understand what the customers want? Do you understand what how to solve their pains? And and don't, you know, we're in a SaaS environment, of course. So this is the key part here. Um, and make sure that the team is building the right thing. So that's it. Money in the bank, team, and build the right thing. And this advice really helped me kind of think about my days. So sometimes in the morning, you like especially in the, in the days where you're disciplined not to take too many meetings because meetings are a problem. It fills your calendar, so it feels that you're doing something, but sometimes not the right thing. So especially in days which I make sure to have at least once per week or try at least once per, one per week to have a day that has no meetings. So I, I wake up in the morning, okay, what, what should I focus on today? And this framework was really helpful, especially in the early days to think, you know, and prioritize on what, what, what should I do actually with my time. What's the best book that you've read that's helped your career as a leader? The Bible, the original version, not the sequel. The original version. <laughs> <laughs> what, what, what particular lesson could you uh, could you share from that? I mean, there's probably like there's hundreds, right? But um, what would you uh, what would be kind of like one thing that you you could take from that? I think probably, I mean, as you said, many and many stories, and, and I'm far from actually you know being an expert and, and knowing what I'm talking about. Um, so, so I should approach it with, with modesty here, but I think human nature and, and reading stories about 
human nature, understanding human nature and, and interaction. And, you know, why, you know, why do we start, for example, with, with, um, with basic stories about, about how brothers, you know, hate each other, you know, and can enable and, and what does it teach us? And so I think, especially as, as a nerd and somebody who was more, um, comfortable with, with computers, you know, my, my, in my teenage years, um, really diving into human nature and understanding the metaphors there and understanding the stories um, and that, that we haven't changed. You know, we, we think of ourselves as this sophisticated um, creature, uh, but we're basically apes with technology um, and, and, you know, for the good and for the bad, right? Um, so understanding that we haven't changed in our nature and what does it mean about our day-to-day and, and, you know, how we treat each other, for example, um, is super important. So the values of the company, of, of this company, proper uh, are driven from my core values, from my personal values, which are connected to that. So the way, you know, for example, we treat each other uh, in the company and we expect to be treated is directly linked to uh, to this book. Right? So uh, I can, I, I, it's not even uh, it's not even taking a um, some kind of a, you know a connection to other ideas. It's a direct connection from 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 here to there. So, yeah, I would say this, you know, human nature and, and how, you know, how to live in society in a way that is kind and, and, and generous and charitable um, and grateful. Uh, you know, it's different, but plus, you know, I didn't want to say, you know, lean startup or whatever, because everybody else says the same book. So here's, here's a book that I'm sure most people haven't read recently. Yeah, no, definitely, uh, definitely. You're, uh, you're speaking at SAS.2022 this October in Dublin. Um, so looking forward to having you there. Uh, do you know yet what you'll be speaking about? Um, so maybe it's, it became the theme, but I'm talking about core values. Uh, I'm talking about core values and about uh, how they helped us um, uh, in, the, in the crisis and, 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 and beyond, right? Like, as I said, we're doing 10x in revenue now from before COVID. So it's not only a survival story, it's also a thriving story. Uh, and I think the values for Trump tra- actually explain a big part of it. Awesome. Well, look, looking forward to that and looking forward to seeing you in, uh, in, in Dublin and uh, being able to run in-person conferences uh, uh, again. Um, Avi, where can people find you online? I write mostly on LinkedIn. I'm not really big on social media, to be honest. Uh, I have a Twitter account that I don't have the password for. So uh, whenever <laughs> I want to share something, I, I ask my, uh, somebody to give me my password. And that's it. So LinkedIn, probably LinkedIn post is where I, I share my thoughts from time to time. But the best way, the best way, by the way, is to join Trialperk, and then I talk every every week. People cannot get too much of it. That's what I want to say. I've really enjoyed uh, speaking with you today, um, having your lessons uh, from you know building, growing, scaling, uh, travel perk on entrepreneurship and values, and you know navigating the company through the storm. Uh, Avi Mayer, uh, CEO uh, and co-founder of Travel Perk, thanks so much for being a great guest on the SaaS Revolution Show today. Thank you, Alex. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of the SaaS Revolution Show. I hope you enjoyed it. And if you learned something from it, check out sasdoc.com forward slash events to find all the upcoming SaaSdoc conferences around the world. Want exclusive SaaS content and actionable insights to grow your SaaS? Join our community of over 36,000 SaaS founders at sasdoc.com.